take forever. <laughs> hey, with all that work, who had time to change jeans or wear a dress? While the sun was out, the king would make away hey, with the women. The men would be too tired from building this stinking pyramid. Honey, how was your day? Lousy. More work on the stinking pyramid. What did you do today? Oh, nothing. That's right, nothing. Hey, what will she say? That Mustafa came over in the golden dress with a rod of solid bamboo? The big bamboo? <laughs> hey, I know that levity is sometimes not seen around the pyramid, but I am a dusty man with a dusty place. Even the muffin makes the dust. And the dust cannot be fooled. The dust is what is left of Reggie, Barney, and Wilhelmina, the original pyramid builders. The pony was a Mexican adventure. All right, all right, all right. I hate to cut out Mustafao, but it's 6.30. It's time for Gray Matters. So I'm going to play a cart and then go down and switch over to the other side of things, and we will be on the air. What are you trying to play? I'm just trying to figure out the bass line to that Paula Abdul song, Forever Your Girl. Oh, yeah, I love that song. I wish I could hear more Paula Abdul on the radio. You can. On WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Really? 88.3. It's all Paula all the time. Awesome. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Gray Matters, your weekly media review and political cultural analysis program. Uh, my name is Jim Dwyer, and I'll be uh, floating solo today as Mr. Whaley uh, enjoys a little bit of a break uh, for a family visit, and that's a good thing. Well, it's pretty brutally hot out there today, cooling a little bit now, but uh, we've had uh, some very high temperatures of late in the area, so uh, hopefully uh, you're taking care of yourself and your small children and or pets, if you're driving around with them in the cars. All sorts of uh, stuff uh, going on in the world, and of course, apparently there appears to have been some deal that's been struck regarding the debt ceiling that we've been talking about a lot down here for the past month and a half or so. Um, let's uh, wait till next week, perhaps, to analyze some of the uh, possible uh, complications of this deal uh, until uh, Mr. Whaley returns. He's a little bit more articulate in such matters than I am, but uh, also I think it'll take a little while to see what some of the consequences may be. <clears throat> and of course, in an age of economic decline, uh, diminished expectations, and something we keep hearing a lot about, shared sacrifice. It's astonishing how myopic some people are with regards to uh, what shared means. And of course, sharing probably makes right-wingers a little uh, uncomfortable anyway, despite their uh, alleged uh, Christian 
uh, tendencies, uh, sharing smells like communism to them. And so uh, one wonders uh, if this is just empty language. Uh, sadly, so much uh, political discourse is just that empty language. Uh, but, of course, there are uh, events uh, in the Middle East uh, that uh, merit our attention, as well as uh, financial matters here at home. I'm surrounded by a whirlwind of clippings. And so, to begin, I will just jump into two fairly lightweight um, cultural uh, brain damage awards that we'll just dispense with right away. Uh, the first of which uh, goes to the University of Michigan marching band, uh, whoever decided to cover Elbel Field with a fake turf uh, really deserves a brain damage award. Now, I'm speaking on behalf of community members, students, and townies who like to utilize that field for roller hockey uh, when the marching band is not using it. Obviously, its primary intent and purpose is for the marching band to practice. Uh, that's perfectly uh, cremulent, as the Simpsons might say. Uh, that is legitimate, acceptable. That's what it's for. But when they're not using it, uh, it's a community resource. That's one of the arguments that the university makes consistently when it has to defend uh, the amount of property that it owns and its tax status. Of course, this is why property taxes are higher in Ann Arbor, because the university doesn't pay those taxes, and so we all pick up the slack. Well, uh, the university's argument is, well, community members benefit from university resources, which are at your disposal. Well, apparently that's not true for Elbel Field anymore. Now, if they wanted to uh, simulate the markings of a football field uh, so that, you know, routines can be practiced and positions can be clarified. Why not just paint the lines on the uh, asphalt? Uh, no, somebody decided, gee, it'd be a lot more colorful and look more like a football field if we rolled out a tarp. And so now nobody can use it uh, except for the marching band. And uh, that's just not fair. Uh, another brain damage award, even more superficial and uh, shallow, but on behalf of uh, cephalopod lovers everywhere, as well as uh, <sighs> Harry Potter readers who wonder why uh, J.K. Rowling left certain strands uncompleted. Well, my family and I finally went to go see the final film in the installment of the ongoing Harry Potter series, and while I was really disappointed uh, w w with two things about the ending of that series, um, a landmark in children's literature, certainly in publishing history itself, and a cultural touchstone for an entire generation of young people and their parents, uh, the Harry Potter series has been nothing but good for the book industry, for the entertainment industry. And so, by and large, it's been a very enjoyable uh, and... Uh, fruitful phenomena. Um, now, I'm not going to take issue with the uh, artificial tacked-on epilogue uh, where you get to see the characters are now grown up and have children of their own. That's kind of jive and ridiculous, and most readers have uh, come to their own conclusions about that. But uh, there's an epic battle that takes place at the end of the Harry Potter uh, story, 
and you know some of the good guys die some of the bad guys die it's a battle right so you expect these things to happen but all along the series we were told that the large lake outside of hogwarts castle contained a giant squid well the book failed to activate the giant squid in the uh, cataclysmic battle for good and evil at the end and that was a disappointment for me, but I thought, surely Hollywood will not disappoint. Uh, what greater uh, special effects, uh, uh, you know, drop could you ask for than to have a giant squid uh, take place uh, in the uh, exciting conclusion of your series? But uh, no, there was no giant squid to be seen anywhere. And this baffles me because, hey, it's an epic freaking battle, right? Why not pull out the giant squid? I mean, that would be cool. Uh, of course, uh, there aren't that many films that feature giant squids. Disney's uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is uh, maybe the best and the most famous. But uh, this is a failure of epic proportions and is just one reason why that movie is uh, pretty disappointing. Uh, some small items of uh, real, more serious news um, involve... The just barely a country of Afghanistan, where there is a suicide blast killing the uh, an Afghan mayor, the mayor of Kandahar. Uh, the killing is the latest in a series of murders of officials that also claim the life of the Afghan president's brother. Uh, the mayor, Ghulam uh, Haider Hamidi, a U.S. citizen, that's odd, was killed when the attacker infiltrated a meeting of elders gathered at his office on Wednesday to discuss a dispute over the demolition of houses. The explosion killed one other civilian in the bomber and left several injured. So despite the Pentagon's claims that uh, things are uh, getting better in Afghanistan, uh, all evidence seems to argue to the contrary. Um also, a uh, disturbing note, the fate of 3,000 Syrians is uncertain. Concern about the fate of thousands of missing people in Syria has intensified after the uh, campaign group Avaz said it had contacted the families of nearly 3,000 people who it claims have been disappeared by the state since the start of protests in March. Launching a campaign to highlight forced disappearances in Syria, Avaz, that's A-V-A-A-Z, said it had established the names of 2,918 missing people whom the security services have denied detaining. Human Rights Watch says that incommunicado detention is widespread in Syria. Just ask the George W. Bush people. They were extraordinarily rendering people to Syria for questioning uh, with regards to the so-called war on terror. Well, uh, there's also a couple of other developments in Syria, a top topic that we haven't really talked about in uh, as great a detail as it deserves lately because of the other things that are going on, is that um, Syrian protesters are making interesting moves to expose government informers. Uh, this from the uh, 29th of July. Abigail Fielding Smith writing from Beirut and Damascus. In communities across Syria, activists are circulating lists of government informers and a fresh indication of the social fissures wrought by the four-month-long crackdown on protests. 
Activists insist that the purpose of publishing the lists, sometimes made available through Facebook, is to pressure and isolate those who inform on their neighbors rather than initiate vigilante justice. And so the idea is that uh, they'll be shamed into uh, stopping this, or frightened, if you prefer. Uh, one protester from the central Damascus district of Midan said that being associated with the secret police used to offer protection, status, and a source of income, but things had changed. Quote, it's like a message for them to stop what they're doing, said one man involved in compiling the list of informers in Zabadani, which he estimated to number about 500 in a town of 23,000. Here in Syria, the government can't catch anyone if they don't have an informer. Well, here in Syria, the government has apparently, if I can find today's paper, uh, massacred a uh, hundred people just uh, as Ramadan is about to begin. Uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad's regime sent tanks into the Syrian rebel cities of Hama and Deir Ezzor on Sunday, killing more than a hundred people. Uh, as Ramadan is uh, set to begin. Uh, Sunday's attacks, which activists have dubbed the Ramadan Massacre, are among the bloodiest yet in the four-and-a-half-month uprising and are thought to be a preemptive strike at a pro-democracy protest movement expected to produce demonstrations every day during Ramadan. And some of these activists have been saying that every day of Ramadan will be like a Friday. Friday, of course, is the holy day. That's when most of the uh, protests... Uh, have been taking place. It's the weekend, so people have that day off and uh, can do so. So uh, we will see uh, what continues to develop there. And, of course, another uh, Ramadan note. Uh, food prices in Libya are expected to rise as scarcities grow. This is part of the uh, pressure on the Gaddafi regime. And there's been some interesting... Uh, developments there. Monetary pressure on Libyans, reading here from uh, Michael Peel, writing also July 29th. Uh, monetary pressure on Libyans was highlighted last week by the Libyan finance minister who told CNN the government was injecting an unspecified sum of new subsidies to lower the cost of basic goods such as rice, flour, meat, egg, sugar. He said he was introducing the support because in crises such as the Libyan conflict, traders tended to profit more than they should. Uh, uh, well, let's not get into the ugly business of speculation and food costs because, of course, Kenya is now experiencing food shortages as well. Uh, Mubarak, uh, Hosni Mubarak, that is, is uh, set to stand trial, and we'll see whether or not the uh, military there continues to just sort of... Uh, placate people, uh, it's beginning to seem more and more like uh, what really happened in Egypt was a soft coup, as the military seems pretty unwilling to yield towards uh, civilian democratic control. Uh, they will go the step of putting Hosni Mubarak on trial, uh, since, of course, that won't hurt them at all or cost them anything. Um, trial is due to start on uh, August 3rd, so... Take a look around on your uh, TV listings and see if you'll be able to watch any of that. Well, I'm going to uh, read an article here now. Normally we didn't, don't read entire articles on the program, but this is one that I think uh, definitely deserves it. And it uh, 
is probably something that has been overlooked. Uh, this first appeared online. This is from the counterpunch.org uh, online journal. This is run by Alexander Coburn and Andrew. Uh, no, I want to say Andrew Kopkin, but that's another uh, Nation writer. Alexander Coburn, of course, longtime um, contributor to the Nation magazine. And uh, interesting piece published July 19th on Counterpunch uh, asking time for impeachment, the corporate Supreme Court. And this is written by Ralph Nader who, of course, a lot of people still blame for the failure of Al Gore to become elected president. I think that's the wrong way to position that. I'm not going to go into that debate again or reopen that can of worms. Uh, but uh, Ralph Nader's reputation has uh, suffered in some ways because uh, those on the left have blamed him. Those on the right never took him serious anyway, uh, even though the very simple uh, basic safety mechanism that we all now uh, strap on every time we get in the car. The safety belt is uh, part of Ralph Nader's great legacy of consumer activism. And regardless of what you think about his uh, career as a presidential candidate, it's undeniable that Ralph Nader has the best interests of a simple working people at heart. And so it is in that spirit that I read you his piece, The Corporate Supreme Court. Uh, which reads as follows. Five Supreme Court justices, Scalia, Thomas, Roberts, Alito, and Kennedy, are entrenching in a whirlwind of judicial dictates, judicial legislating, and sheer ideological judgments, a mega-corporate mega supremacy over the rights and remedies of individuals. The artificial entity called the corporation has no mention in our Constitution, whose preamble starts with, we the people, not we the corporation. Taken together, the decisions are brazenly overriding sensible precedents, tearing apart the state common law of torts and blocking class actions, shoving aside jury verdicts, limiting people's standing to sue, preempting state jurisdictions, anything that serves to centralize power and hand it over to the corporate conquistadors. Here are some examples. For more, see thecorporatecourt.com. That's one stream, thecorporatecourt.com. Remember the disastrous Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound 22 years ago? It destroyed marine life and the livelihoods of many landowners, fishermen, and native Alaskans. Its toxic effects continue to this day. Well, after years of litigation by Alaskan fishermen, the Supreme Court took the case to review a $5 billion award the trial court had assessed in punitive damages. A 5-3 to three decision lowered the sum to $507.5 million. That's a $5 billion reward that's been reduced to $507.5 million, which is less than what Exxon made in interest by delaying the case for 20 years. Moreover, the drunken Exxon captain's oil tanker calamity raised the price of gasoline at the pump for a while. Exxon actually made a profit, despite its discharge of 50 million gallons. The unelected, life-tenured corporate court was just getting started, and every year they tighten the noose of corporatism around the American people. 
In Bush versus Gore, a 5-4 decision, the court picked the more corporate president of the United States in 2000, leaving constitutional scholars thunderstruck at this breathtaking seizure of the electoral process, stopping the Florida Supreme Court's ongoing statewide recount. The five Republican justices behaved as political hacks conducting a judicial coup d'etat. But then what do you expect from justices like Thomas and Scalia, who participate in a Koch brothers political retreat or engage in extrajudicial activities that shake the public confidence in the highest court of the land? Last year came the Citizens United versus FEC case, where the Republican majority went out of its way to decide a question that the parties to the appeal never asked. In a predatory frolic and detour, that's in quotes, the five justices declared that corporations, including foreign companies, no longer have to obey the prohibitory federal law and their own court's precedents. Corporations like Pfizer, Aetna, Chevron, GM, Citigroup, Monsanto can spend unlimited funds without asking their shareholders, in independent expenditures to oppose or support candidates for public office from a local city council election to federal congressional and presidential elections. Once again, our judicial dictatorship has spoken for corporate privilege and power overriding the rights of individual voters. 80% of the American people, reported a Washington Post poll, reject the court's view that a business corporation is entitled to the same free speech rights as citizens. Chances are very high that in cases between workers and companies, consumers and companies, communities and corporations, taxpayers and military contractors, big business wins. Inanimate corporations created by state government charters have risen as Frankensteins to control the people through one judicial activist decision after another. It was the Supreme Court in 1886 that started treating a corporation as a person for purposes of the equal protection right in the 14th Amendment. Actually, the scribe manufactured Excuse me. Actually, the scribe manufactured that conclusion in the head notes, even though the court's opinion did not go that far. But then it was off to the races. These inanimate giants astride the globe have privileges and immunities that we the people can only dream about. Yet they have equal constitutional rights with us, except for the right against self-incrimination and more limited privacy rights. What is behind these five corporate justices' decisions is a commercial philosophy that big business knows best for you and your children. These justices intend to drive this political jurisprudence to further extremes, so long as they are in command, to twist our founders' clear writings that the Constitution was for the supremacy of human beings. To see how extreme the five corporate justices are, consider the strong contrary view of one of their conservative heroes, the late Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Remember him. In a case where a plurality of justices threw out a California regulation requiring an insert in utility bills inviting residential ratepayers to band together to advance their interests against Pacific Gas and Electric. The prevailing justices said, 
get this, that it violated the electric company Monopoly's First Amendment right to remain silent and not respond to the insert's message. Conservative Justice uh, Rehnquist's dissent it contained these words, so totally rejected by the present-day usurpers, quote, Extension of the individual freedom of conscious decisions to business corporations strains the rationale of those cases beyond the breaking point. To ascribe such artificial entities an intellect or mind for freedom of conscious purposes is uh, freedom of conscious purposes is to confuse metaphor with reality. Wow, who expected such clarity from uh, Justice Rehnquist? But there you have it. It's pretty clear. Back to Nader's piece. It was left to another conservative jurist, the late Justice Byron White, dissenting in the corporate corporatist decision First National Bank versus Bellotti, 1978, to recognize the essential principle. Corporations, Justice White wrote, are in a position quote, are in a position to control vast amounts of economic power, which may, if not regulated, dominate not only the economy, but also the very heart of our democracy, the electoral process, close quote. The state, he continued, has a compelling interest in preventing institutions which have been permitted to amass wealth as a result of special advantages extended by the state for certain economic purposes from using that wealth to acquire an unfair advantage in the political process. Quote, the state need not permit its own creation to consume it, close quote. Never have I urged impeachment of Supreme Court justices. I do so now for the sake of ending the Supreme Court's corporate judicial dictatorship that is not accountable under our system of checks and balances in any other way. Those are the words of Ralph Nader, longtime consumer advocate and spokesman for sanity in a world of unchecked corporate malfeasance. Speaking of unchecked corporate malfeasance, keep your eyes on uh, Chris, don't call me Count Chocola, head of the so-called Club for Growth. It's a spokes uh, group for uh, the Chamber of Commerce, which sounds like an official government body, but it's just an alliance of uh, business interests. And, of course, uh, they are part of the... Uh, radical rights attack on government itself and there's been some recent realizations that the uh, Chamber of Commerce may have found themselves uh, cornered by their own creation as Ralph Nader just made the Frankenstein's monster metaphor here that uh, corporate America is increasingly finding itself at odds with uh, Tea Party headliners and that's something that we'll have to talk about a little bit more in the wake of this uh, deal that's apparently been struck uh, to raise the debt ceiling. The uh, reluctance to consider uh, the modification of taxes, the raising of tax rates for corporations or for the super wealthy uh, as a simple ideological uh you know, non-starter on the behalf of Republicans is utterly irresponsible. When every household is making its uh, budget, uh, of course, if your costs exceed your 
uh, inflow of cash, you have to make cuts. You have to decide, well, we can only go to the movies twice a month rather than every week, or we're going to buy this kind of product instead of that kind of product because money is tight. Uh, You also look into other ways of getting additional revenue. Maybe you get a part-time job. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the kids start to contribute financially to the family. Uh, the complete refusal to allow, uh, tax increases on corporations, certainly, um, to help, uh, remedy the fiscal crisis that our country finds itself in is the height of irresponsibility and is, uh, just shocking. But, uh, You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and you're not shocked by such things. You're merely shrugging your shoulders like the rest of us saying, uh, how can people be so stupid or heartless? Just a couple minutes left in the program. We'll be switching over to Yazoo City Calling. Uh, Thanks to Andrew for engineering thus far. I'm going to jump now to another egregious assertion that uh, shocks and baffles, uh, this time from the Pentagon. And so let's uh, glimpse what they say about uh, budget cuts, shared sacrifices. Well, if you know anybody who's a teacher or a policeman or a fireman locally or indeed any public worker at all, uh, lots of uh, concerns and questions about the viability of your chosen profession's future. Let's consider shared sacrifices once again and look at this article uh, from the 27th of July, written by Anna Fifield, uh, Dateline, Washington, on Pentagon spending. Her article goes uh, thusly. It would be, quote, extraordinarily difficult to cut $800 billion from the U.S. defense budget during the next decade, as some lawmakers have proposed. General Martin Dempsey, nominee to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has warned. More lawmakers with Barack Obama's backing are looking at cutting as much as a trillion dollars from the Pentagon uh, spending over the next decade, more than double the $400 billion in savings the president had previously called for in the next eight years. The annual baseline defense budget is $550 billion. Now, by the way, I'll interrupt the article here to remind uh, listeners that that's more than what the rest of the world altogether spends on defense spending, including China. And so why this has to be taken as a matter of faith uh, that America must spend this much on military spending. Too many people are drinking the Kool-Aid on that. That is uh, I have one word in response to that, and the word is balls. And I quote my good friend Jeff Peterson on that matter. Back to uh, Anna Fifield's article. At his confirmation hearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee on Tuesday, General Dempsey was asked what kind of an effect an $800 billion cut in a decade would have on the military's readiness. Close uh, his quote is, I have been asked to look at that number, but I have... uh, Oh, excuse me. I'll start again. His quote is as follows. I haven't been asked to look at that number, but I have looked at $400 billion, and I would react in this way, General Dempsey told John McCain, the ranking Republican on the committee, uh, who was speaking without his space helmet, of course, as per usual. Dempsey continues, based on the difficulty of achieving the $400 billion cut, I believe $800 billion would be extraordinarily difficult and very high risk. 
You mean to tell me that you can't find that kind of waste in the Pentagon? We've been paying for hundreds of thousands of troops uh, to be stationed in Germany, in England, in Japan uh, for over 50 years. World War II is long over. It's a very different world. Uh, we're paying for things that we haven't been able to 